0: I am Charlotte Cassaragi, and in partnership with the House of Chanel, I present to you the Les Rencontres podcast. As part of the Rendezvous Littéraire at Trucambon, this podcast spotlights the birth of a female writer. You can listen to the various episodes and their authors on your preferred streaming platforms. <laughs> Happy Saturday. It's August 19th, 2023, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker in London.
1: And I'm Michael Haney in New York City. And we are two of
0: your airmail editors who are still out here relishing the last few days of summer, gossiping, reading, watching movies, going to the beach. Michael, how else are we occupying ourselves at this point in the year?
1: Eating a lot of ice cream and taking naps where you can. Those are two things. Okay,
0: but not a bad idea. Now that I finished the bear, I feel like I have no reason to live. Fortunately,
1: we have a new issue of airmail this week. that has lots of good stuff to discuss. We do. We have a terrific show filled with great guests and stories. Joanna Berkman will be here with new reporting on the scandal surrounding Wall Street titan Leon Black and his very expensive and highly suspicious multi-million dollar payments to convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Then it wouldn't be summer if there were not a bizarre drama in the Hamptons and this one says it all. Linda Wells will tell us how and why the scene in posh exercise classes out east has gotten physical. Very, very physical. And finally many of you are fans of Airmails art. Arts Intel Report, our indispensable research tool for what to do and where and when to do it. Now, just in time for the big fall culture season and the explosion of shows that it brings, we've launched an exciting revamp of the site, your resource for all things culture. And Laura Jacobs, the editor of Arts Intel Report, is going to tell us all about it. Ashley, where would you like to begin this week?
0: Michael, this is just peak me. We have to talk about the exercise class scene in the Hamptons. I'm sorry. like I can't start off my Saturday morning with Jeffrey Epstein.
1: You're just having withdrawal because you're not out there. You want to be like front row in the scrum of what's going on out there, but you're going to have to live a little vicariously right now, right?
0: Yeah, not anymore, actually. I stopped going to Tracy Anderson because of that, for many other reasons, also because I can't do a leg lift. But we've got Linda Wells here to tell us all about how does something that is supposed to be relaxing and life-affirming end up causing more stress? Well, if it happens in the Hamptons, that can occasionally be an effect. And we've got Linda Wells here to tell us about Hamptons exercise classes, what it's really like. Linda is the editor of Airmail Look, our monthly beauty and wellness themed magazine. And she was also the founding editor of Allure Magazine, a role she held for 25 years. Needless to say, she knows this universe intimately, and we are fortunate to know her. Welcome back, Linda. Okay, Linda, first of all, the Hamptons, you know this ecosystem intimately. How long have you been attending exercise classes out on the east end of Long Island?
2: Since the beginning of time, uh, probably since the early 90s. And I used to drive to East Hampton from Southampton to go to a class called Phys Ed. spelled F-I-Z-Z. And so it's been a long time. I went to Radu. I went to Lottie Burke. I went pregnant. I was every form of exercise I did. I did it all. And I loved it. And a lot of the classes are sort of diabolically located on Butter Lane or Gingerbread Lane or Behind the Buttery. And it's like, are they trying to torture us? But exercise in this part of the world out east, the eastern tip of Long Island is very fraught with a lot of personalities.
1: I want to hear about these personalities because it seems to be much like the Hamptons. You think you're getting away from New York and yet some of the annoyances of New York just travel with you. So tell us who's in these classes and why are they getting so extra physical lately?
2: Right. They're really physical. Who's in the classes are all these people who are out here who believe they are entitled to special treatment because they've got a lot of money and they've had a lot of success and they've got a great big house. And so they bring all that attitude to the exercise class. And what? One of the instructors I speak with calls them queen bees and he's very fond of them all. But they bring this attitude and then the parking lots are too small and the rooms are too small and they're too hot and people are jockeying for position And it gets people's tempers really, really heightened. And what is supposed to be good for you and stress relieving and producing endorphins ends up backfiring and people get very angry and very competitive.
0: I mean, Linda, this is why I stopped going to Soul Cycle in the Hamptons, I'm sorry to say. Like, I would find myself getting really upset if I didn't get that front row seat. It became a bit of a mania. Why do you think that is? Is it just sort of New York competitive nature on steroids? It's
2: absolutely about competition. And it is hierarchical. It's like who gets the front row seat? It's almost like anything else where it's almost like being in a fashion show where it doesn't really make any difference to how you experience the exercise class if you're not in the front row. But there seems to be such a premium put on the front row. In fact, one woman I spoke with who's a dedicated bar attendee called her front row position in front of the mirror the equivalent of a $55 million house on further lane. Now, I'm not really sure there is such a thing as a $55 million house. That sounds like an add another $100 to that, but I think that it is this prime position. And I've gone to SoulCycle forever. I stopped going during the coronavirus, and I would sometimes get those front row seats. I'm a much more a second row person, but there was a kind of energy to that.
1: I think what we're talking about here is status, right? And it's like, it's just making a gym class what a restaurant is in New York the rest of the time. It's like, do you want to be seen as being in Siberia, or do you want to be right where everyone's going to see you? But I love what you've got this quote in there, as you sort of alluded to, where you say you have the largest personalities and the largest cars in the smallest parking lot. But what I want to ask about is, Linda, I know this has never happened to you, but you bring this up in the story. Certain people who run these places where all these egos come to work out and lift their egos like they're gigantic weights and strut around with them. There's a little designation called, which it seems like a black mark you don't want. Can you tell us about a quote that's called user requires special care?
2: That's right. At Barry's boot camp, I spoke with a college student who was working there for the summer and loved the job, by the way. But he discovered a certain designation called user requires special care, and that is not a compliment. It actually is what's put in a notation in Barry's computer system, and it's attached to someone who misbehaves in some way or another. So it could be that they are abusive to the front desk staff, or it could be that they're rude and obnoxious to someone in the class. Usually no one is ballsy enough to be rude to the instructor because they really cowed out of them, but it's basically bad behavior or entitled behavior or some kind of sensitivity that requires a notation so that everybody around the country who has this client realizes that they're going to be handling a big personality and to be careful.
1: Okay, Linda, as you say, you've been going out to these classes for a long time. You've seen it all. Anything crazy that's not in the story that you have seen that you think like, wow, that's a new one.
2: There was a soul cycle class. I think it was a benefit. And someone, a man was on the bike and he passed out and fell off the bike. And of course, we all thought he was dead and hit his head on the way down and still had his feet in the shoes that were in the pedals. And everyone had to call 911. And his wife stood up in front of the class and screamed, do you see what I have to deal with every day? Which I thought was quite exceptional.
0: Linda, uh, can we talk for a minute about Tracy Anderson and this phenomenon? We know she's Gwyneth Paltrow's trainer. She has her own quote unquote method. I did it for nine months of pregnancy and I did an awful lot of leg lifts and I still gained 75 pounds, but we can talk about that at another time. Why are people so obsessed with her workout and how is that playing out in the East End?
2: Tracy Anderson has a kind of cult following. And I think it does start with the fact that Gwyneth is a fan and there are all these hyper fit, very attractive people who go to her class. And it's a very unsmiling, unfun class. I mean, it already has a competitive aspect to it. I'm not really sure if that's just in the water. I think it's heightened out here in the Hamptons. But what happens there is they now charge over $5,000 so that you can book a priority mat, which gives you opportunity to get your great position in your class ahead of everybody else. So it's a real premium on that. And I think then again, That heightens the issues. And the room is heated to around 95 degrees. It is really hot in there. That gets people crazy. And you're doing these really illogical movements. I've done it too before, and I'm sure you've done it, but none of the movements really make a ton of sense. So you're contorting your body a lot in very peculiar ways, although you do work out really, really hard and people get very, very fit this way. There are a lot of famous people who go to her classes and want to be in that front row right in front of the mirror, right near Tracy, sort of that star power that she has. And it is probably the most intense environment of all the classes. And now she has sued several former instructors and accused them of stealing her method. And she one lawsuit is against a woman named Megan Roop, who started the Sculpt Society. So there are people who used to teach at Tracy Anderson are now doing their own thing. And she finds that to be kind of a violation of the contract that they have with her. So the drama is continuing.
1: I love the fact that, I just want to be clear on this, $5,000 gives you the opportunity... To book a front row it doesn't guarantee it, it, just gives you the opportunity, right?
2: Well, I would imagine that the opportunity is guaranteed, but I could be wrong. But there is a thing at Soul Cycle, they started this called Super Soul, and it's $3,400 for 40 classes to give you the opportunity to sign up before everybody else. And that wasn't necessarily a guarantee that you would get in because some of these instructors who have a 9 30 class on the weekends, let's say it's stacy Griffith on 9 30 on the weekends, that class often has 100 people on the waiting list. and some. Of those might be people who've paid a small fortune to get on that special list of early signups. So it isn't a guarantee, but those people will be moved to the top of the wait list. And there's always someone who's late and there's always someone who sleeps in or has a hangover and they don't make it to class. So you can count on that.
0: Linda, I love you and miss you so much. But after having this conversation, I'm very happy to have moved to London. (laughs) This universe seems completely insane.
2: (laughs) I know. And I work out at home now because that was one of the things I learned as I figured out that you can get a lot of great classes online and it does save you a lot of headache. I went back to Soul Cycle a couple of weeks ago and I thought, I love the energy. And then I thought, oh, the scene. I don't love the scene. I'm not waiting in line at Round Swamp Farms for a $50 gazpacho. So I'm quite relieved not to be doing the things that can make you crazy out here in the land of beautiful beaches.
0: On the next episode of Morning Meeting, Linda, we can revisit the barn, the original days of Soul Cycle. Seems so quaint, doesn't it?
2: (laughs) I know, I remember when you could pick any parking place in the whole world and there was a half empty. I know, those are the olden days, they're gone.
1: I'm just gonna keep doing my Canadian Air Force calisthenics at home, just doing it old school.
2: (laughs) I used to do those with my dad. I need a video of
0: that, thanks.
1: Whoa, 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 ladies, ladies, there's room for everyone, hold on now.
0: Linda, thank you so much. Now get back on the bike or the trampoline.
2: Thank you so much. Always fun to talk to you
1: guys. Feel the burn, Linda.
2: Bye
0: okay, Michael, reasons not to work out. I'll see you walking on the beach.
1: You'll see me walking on the beach and enjoying nature. And someone who might want to work out and get ready for some altercations, perhaps legal or maybe jail time setting, is Leon Black. And Joanna Berkman, who broke a great story for us two weeks ago, is back. She has more details this week on those curious multi-million dollar fees Leon Black paid to Jeffrey Epstein and why the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, Ron Wyden, now wants answers from Black. She'll also explain how an effort Black 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 to save a billion dollars on some fees might end up costing him a billion dollars or much, much more. Joanna is a writer at large for Airmail and she is here to discuss Leon Black. So please welcome Joanna. Hi, nice
3: to see you. Nice to be back.
0: Well, bless you for following all of this Leon Black news and doing all of this reporting, which is so important because it's a disgusting and terrifying case. So what has happened since we last spoke about Leon Black? Where did we find him legally?
3: Well, what we are doing right now is kind of a deep dive into the financial issues that are now being investigated by the Senate because he has two weeks from yesterday, two weeks from Friday to respond. And what we have found, similar to our scrutiny of the Deckert Report, a lot of what's important is actually in the footnotes. And essentially what you need to know is this. In the Deckert Report, much was made about, yes, Leon Black paid Epstein $158 million. However, he did this incredible service to him and as a result of his work and his advice, it conferred more than, quote, a billion and as much as two billion or more in value to black. Well, now that that report and those claims are under scrutiny by Senate Finance, Black's lawyers seem to be changing their tune a tiny bit. And what they are changing their tune about are two key transactions that account for a very large portion of that claim.
1: So, Joanna, as you note in your story this week, I mean, you've got the Deckett Report, which was commissioned to investigate his ties to Epstein. So it seems to me now the Senate Finance Committee is looking at this and saying, you either paid Jeffrey Epstein a lot of money for something that we can't quite put down, or you're saying, like, he gave you bad advice. But either way, Black seems to be trying to wiggle out or something here, is that correct?
3: Well, You ask a terrific question. In particular, in the Deckard Report, the most credit that Jeffrey Epstein was given, they said he did this incredible job with this instrument called the, quote, 2006 GRAT, and a GRAT is a vehicle, an estate planning vehicle frequently used by the wealthy to transfer very large gifts tax-free to their heirs. They didn't give details, but they kept saying how Jeffrey Epstein did this. It was a grand slam, the most creative solution. It wasn't the lawyers. It was Jeffrey Epstein. Well, Now that the Senate Finance Committee has asked, what exactly are you talking about? Black's Paul Weiss lawyers have said, oh, this is actually, they use the word, I think, misunderstanding. The work that Jeffrey Epstein did had nothing to do specifically with this 2006 GRAT. And then they had to tell what it really did have to deal with. And, well, what did it really have to deal with? It had to do with a remainder trust that the 2006 GRAT assets were going to transfer into when that vehicle expired. What happened with this remainder trust? Leon Black was its beneficiary. That's very typical Someone is the beneficiary of a remainder trust. They've received certain income, which is prescribed by the terms of the trust. And what happened? As it turns out, Leon Black, quote, inadvertently received overpayments from the trust. This is something that's quite unusual. So the payments essentially violated the terms of the trust. They say it was completely inadvertent, but it created a serious potential legal problem. And the potential problem that it created was that the trustees could, in theory, potentially remove Leon Black as a beneficiary of the trust. Leon Black could potentially sue the trustees if they were to do that. So they're at this impasse. I think it creates questions about the validity of the trust, the validity of these assets being tax free, which was a very large sum of money. So what to do? Who do you call for help to solve this serious, potentially incredibly expensive, legally fraud situation? You have all these very high paid advisors, top legal minds, top accounting estate. You bring in Jeffrey Epstein. It is Jeffrey Epstein who solved this problem for Leon Black. Now, what did he do? He says, you'll just each give each other a release that Black won't sue the trustees, the trustees won't sue Black. You'll give each other, quote, consideration, which typically means some kind of sum of money. And that's it. The problem is solved. There's no jeopardy here for the tax-free status of these assets. And then, of course, here comes Senate Finance. And they say, wait a minute, what exactly was the consideration given? If the consideration given, which Black's lawyers have yet to reveal, if the consideration given isn't Commensurate with the situation, if it's not deemed appropriate, you could end up being taxed here. In addition, now it's never good to be under a microscope. The Senate finance is saying, wait a minute, the assets in this remainder trust for which you were inadvertently overpaid in income, those assets were holdings in Apollo. And the Senate finance is saying, wait a minute, Mr. Black, did you retain your voting control in those holdings in Apollo? And did you borrow against those holdings? Leon Black is refusing to answer those questions. And if the answer to those questions are yes, that he did retain voting control or yes, that he did borrow against it. And as we know, borrowing against major stock holdings is something fairly commonly done by founders of companies who have the bulk of their net worth in a single stock. If the answers to those questions are yes, that could compromise the tax free nature of what he has set up. So that's what the Senate is waiting to hear back from on that front.
1: Right. And just to summarize, the money we're talking about is he was basically a trust that was worth a billion dollars. Is that correct? A billion dollars?
3: Well, what it says in the back and forth in the exchange is that the Apollo assets in the trust at the time they were, I believe, put in were worth about $585 million. This was before the Apollo IPO. This was many years ago. And that Leon Black's lawyers had determined that they could increase in value up to maybe $2 billion before the time of his death. And the reason we talk about the time of his death, of course, this is all a part of estate planning. It's quite a large sum. And I spoke with an accountant about it and he said, wait a second, what do you mean the trustees inadvertently overpaid him? When you have a trust with $585 million worth of assets in it to start, you don't put random people as your trustees. Typically, you would have professional trustees, whether it's lawyers, financial experts, and you pay them a fee. They are taking on a responsibility for you. So it's quite unusual.
1: Right. Depending how this nets out, the heirs could be on the hook for a billion dollars in taxes, as you say, right?
3: Something to that effect. It's hard to predict exactly how it will go, but we were talking about extremely significant potential tax
1: So in short, his attempt to solve one very expensive problem by bringing in Epstein, he may have created another. So we've got September 1 coming up as a deadline. Joanna, so where is Black right now in all this and what else is going on with him that's going on in the background here?
3: Well, in the background of all these potential tax issues, and there's a few others that we can touch on from the Senate Finance, which we can talk about. He just filed a lawsuit this week against Wigdor. That is the law firm which Guzel Geneva, his former mistress, the Russian woman, had used to sue him. That is also the law firm that a woman named Sherry Pearson who sued him, alleging that about 20 years ago he had raped her in Epstein's townhouse. And it is also the law firm that brought the recent suit from the autistic woman who alleges that when she was about 16 years old, Black had raped her in Epstein's townhouse. And as we know, Black had already sued this law firm previously, first in federal court in connection with Josh Harris. Then when that was thrown out of federal court, he filed a lawsuit in state court against both Wigdor and his former mistress Geneva. This second lawsuit against Wigdor, which he just filed, he says is for malicious prosecution. He says he's never met this woman who says she was 16 years old at the time. He recently sent private investigators to meet with several members of her family. And what has been said is that they recorded with the family member's permission and that in fact, this woman has a history of making up untrue stories and has many different mental health issues. And there's been a lot of legal filings back and forth about that. And now he is suing Wigdor as a result. And Wigdor's response so far, they've actually responded on Twitter and they have said that they will begin releasing emails that the lawyer who is representing Black and who is suing them, a partner from the law firm Quinn Emanuel named Michael, I believe it's Michael Carlinski, they will release emails he has sent to them over the years talking about how they're a terrific law firm, asking them for favors, referring them clients to show that essentially they said something to the effect that Leon Black has bought him and that in fact he thinks they're a great firm.
0: Joanne, in a rather Trumpian display of behavior, we have seen Leon Black gallivanting around town, telling friends that he's been wronged, generally being unshameable. Do you see a universe in which he changes his tune? I mean, do you see an opportunity for him to go to jail at this point?
3: I have no idea what will happen. I think if there's a lot going on, I would say. I think probably the biggest issue for him at the moment would be these issues with Senate finance, because they've already taken them up. They seem to care about them greatly. And I do think, however, that who wins the next election, depending how long it takes for this investigation of Leon Black to play out, whether the Democrats are in power or the Republicans could matter, because as has been reported, Leon Black was one of the biggest funders of Kirsten Cinema's campaign and her fundraising. And she has been really a linchpin in the Senate on financial issues benefiting private equity firms. I can't imagine she's not aware of this. I can't imagine she doesn't care. So I think there could end up being a political component. Now, if this plays out before the election, that may not matter. But I do think there's certainly an issue in this country where Republicans tend to be a little more, maybe a lot more hands off when it comes to issues of taxes and estate planning. And Democrats tend to be more aggressive and assertive on that. And so That is part of what I think you're seeing. And I think part of what Wyden is talking about and thinking about, in addition to the specific issues, which are very particular to Black and Epstein, that they also raise bigger questions about the integrity of our tax system, the integrity of the IRS, because he pointed out that Leon Black had not been audited on any of these issues. And when you think about it, really, the only reason the Senate is looking into this is because of the Deckert report. The only reason there was a Deckert report is because Black was so closely tied to Jeffrey Epstein. And so had Epstein never been arrested, none of this may have ever come to light. And it really all stems from that, which just goes to show you that there could be a lot going on that neither the IRS nor the Senate is able to see or is able to pay attention to. And so I think Wyden is thinking of that as an issue. This is just one example what other kinds of things are being done that perhaps are worthy of reconsideration.
1: So, Joanna, like listening to you today, am I wrong to think that Leon Black was blackmailed by Jeffrey Epstein?
3: It's a terrific question. Question We cannot say. Does it seem strange that he sent him these emails in which, as we already knew, he not only talked about personal matters in which Black had confided in him, but he also talked extensively about the work he had done for him with regards to his estate. Now, when I originally read that in the Deckard Report, we did not yet know that Epstein had intervened, that there were these inadvertent overpayments that had not yet been revealed. So it was hard to know what potentially that could refer to. Now that we know that Epstein intervened in a very significant way with the inadvertent overpayments, of course, one wonders, is that one of the matters that Epstein was raising in these emails? And in addition to raising matters and talking in these emails where he was demanding more money. In addition to talking about the matters that he had already done for him, he talked about how there were all kinds of problems with blacks' estate. And he also said that he no longer wanted to help him with them. Does that sound kind of threatening? It does. Does that mean it was? I do not know. But I think if you're Ron Wyden and you're looking at all of this closely, I think those are real questions that he may be continuing to
1: pursue. Joanna, as always, it's brilliant Reporting and your ability to synthesize all this information and intelligence. We're so grateful to you for it. It's terrific. And thank you for being on the story.
3: It's always terrific to speak with
1: both of you. Okay. We'll see you soon.
0: Okay. Well, that was some incredible reporting from Joanna Berkman. The nefariousness never ends here in the RML universe. We're happy to have that story. Wow. What a take. But
1: one way to escape some sort of thoughts like that is with some great culture and this week we've got something we're very proud of that we want to talk about which is the new revamped new arts intel report which is edited by julie vitale and laura jacobs
0: yeah i mean this is for those of us who love and live to travel this is an indispensable resource to help you plan not only your weekends at home but also your trips to locales near and far arts intel report is our Completely, compulsively, obsessively searchable matrix for all things happening in many major cities around the world, from dance to theater to art. And Laura Jacobs, our beloved colleague, is here to tell us
4: all about it. Welcome, Laura. Thanks for having me.
0: Laura, what is this fabulous Arts Intel Report that we're hearing so much about?
4: Well, to put it simply, it's a listing of global cultural exhibitions and events that we, the Air Crew, have decided are must-sees for those traveling. Each event is written up, a mini story, a thumbnail sketch, no press release text. We want them to be fun to read. But then, it's not a list. Air, which is short for Arts Intel Report, has been designed quite elegantly, to be an international research tool for what to do and where and when to do it. Air has been part of the airmail DNA from the very beginning, and it's pretty simple. Let's say you're going to Paris in October and you love art. You'd search Paris, October, and art, and our site will bring up the exhibitions that we you shouldn't miss while you're there. So it's a huge bank of information about the arts here on planet Earth, and we're thrilled to announce that the revised version of our original concept is finally here. The face page now lets you see an array of current and upcoming offerings around the world and makes you want to dive in, even if you're not going anywhere. I like to think of air as a snapshot of the global cultural scene.
0: Okay, so Laura Brass talks How exactly do we use this? Like, let's say I'm going to Milan next weekend, God willing. What's my process?
4: Well, the new and revamped site is just really easy to use. And as always, it's updated weekly. So you would just go to the site and in the horizontal bar that's there, you would put in Milan and you would put in for the date. August and everything that we have on going on that we're recommending in Milan will come up if you just put Milan things happening in August September October will also come up so you can get a sense of what's going to be happening in now or in the near future
1: so you're giving me things to do when I'm in Milan or when I'm in Paris but say I want to find a place to stay or eat can you help me with that
4: well that's part of the new revamp in addition to helping you plan what you want to do we've put together Together our list of essential restaurants and hotels in a few key cities London to Los Angeles, New York to Milan, to help with planning These come recommended by a well-traveled group, including the actor Victor Garber, the hotelier Marie-Louise Scio of Il Pelicano Hotel, food critics Alan Richman and Christine Mulkey, the travel writer Pico Iyer, as well as Airmail's worldly editors at large
0: And Laura, I think one of the amazing things about the Arts and Report is if the size of the teen that you have working on this, and the attention that you pay to ensuring that every single listing that you write about has been vetted. So give us a sense of how many people you've got working on this and what their process is like for calling the best cultural events.
4: Well, from the very start, we had the brilliant Matthew Garevich, a distinguished writer on classical music and opera, whose reach also includes theater and dance, to write about music for us. And so he brings us every month he gives us his picks of the best opera and classical music around the world. Matthew has been in the arts for decades and then I as a with my background in dance, I will go look at what's happening at all the ballet companies around the world, modern dance ad blurbs as well. And then we have our young staff which is the air crew that I was referring to They are so eager and so bright. They go through listings around the world and pick out what interests them most and what they think will interest our readers. They put all these recommendations on what we call the launch list. And then I go through and I make final choices. Then these staff, our young staff, write the blurbs, what we call these blurbs. And they have been told that we want these to read like little short stories or sort of poetic invocations of what the event is. They each have their own style and we like that. I encourage them to be daring or to be different in the way they write the blurbs because we want them to be fun for the readers. And each of our young staff has areas that they consider expertise, whether it's art exhibitions, theater, performance art, contemporary music, photography, and podcasts and television shows. I really encourage them to sort of specialize, but to stretch. And I think it just makes for a wonderful
1: mix. There's also some other pretty great writers, like a guy I'm looking forward to seeing, Jim Walcott in there.
4: <laughs> well, it's very convenient to have Jim Walcott as my husband working in the other room, because quite often a listing will come up and I'll be like, oh, this is perfect for Jim. So I'll just call him, scream down the hall. Can you do a blurb on such and such? And and he's like, okay. And Jim turns in copy. That's 99% perfect. So that works out really well.
1: It works out really well if you're in the same house. The the copy is clean. (laughs) Yeah. Just saying. So Laura, most importantly of all, how do people listening to Morning Meeting, where can they sign up to get the New Arts Intel report?
4: Well, if you are already a subscriber, it will come to your inbox every Wednesday afternoon with Weekend Culture. It comes every Saturday morning when you get your new issue. But meanwhile, all you need to do is sign up at airmail.news/weekendculture and you will be getting the Arts Intel report.
0: Well, travel has never been more vibrant and comprehensive, Laura. Thank you so much, not only to you, but also to the whole team at the Arts Intel Report for giving us all this essential information as we plan our lives and our journeys. Oh, well,
4: thank you so much. Thanks, Laura. Have a great day. Thank you, Laura. Bye, Lenny. Right.
1: I love her. Loaded with culture. I mean, it's like I say, a dedicated searchable resource for all things culture. It's like, it's who needs AI when you've got AIR, the arts intel report. That's what I say.
0: You got it. Now, Michael, all we have to do is buy some plane tickets. Where are you going in the final season of 2023?
1: Airfare not included, but... <laughs> a good way to plan something. Make it a multi-stop, do some skip lagging, build your itinerary that way.
0: When it comes to travel, I use this thing constantly. It is incredible. And I can't wait to use it on my next few trips because I've got some good travel coming up this fall too. So more to talk about on that, but bookmark this immediately because you're going to be using it more than you ever thought possible. It is really one of the best resources on the internet. Okay, Michael, on that note, speaking of culture, it's the weekend... We've got so much time on our hands. Tell me, do you have anything at all you can recommend to us?
1: I do. And speaking of cities and shows and things to see, if you are coming to New York City or in New York City, you need to see a show on Broadway before it closes next week. It's called Good Night, Oscar. This is the play for which Sean Hayes won the Tony Award this year for Best Actor. And in it, he gives a magnificent performance as a pianist and actor Oscar Levant. It recounts the night in 1958 when Levant left a psychiatric institution for four hours where he was being treated in order to appear on the Jack Parr show. And in doing so, he created a moment on TV that transformed America. It's a terrific show, as I said, about the burden of genius. And Hayes is great. It's called Good Night Oscar. It's at the Belasco Theater in New York. And you, my dear, what do you have?
0: Well, there's a fantastic new film out from Ira Sachs. Have you seen Passages?
1: I have not seen Passages.
0: Oh, he is so good. So he's the filmmaker behind Love is Strange and this is a new film. It's a drama. It's also a bit of a comedy. It's kind of got everything about how complicated relationships are, especially modern ones where, yes, it turns out, love is challenging. It stars Franz Rogowski and Ben Whitshaw. Both give really great performances, but especially Rogowski. They're in a relationship and everything becomes a little bit messier when Adele X Acropolis enters the picture. So it's just a wonderful film it's out in theaters now it is called passages written and directed by ira Sachs.
1: i'm just excited that neither one of us mentioned red white and royal blue which we don't need to mention any further but (laughs) everyone seems to be talking about it so i'm just glad we both can remain friends and colleagues and near and dear to each other we didn't have to discuss that
0: love it we'd like to thank you all so much for joining us and an extra special thanks to our sponsor this week chanel michael will you please read us
1: out absolutely feel the burn is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alexander Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan and our deputy editors are Ashley Baker, Chris Garrett, Nathan King, Julia Vertelli, and Ash Carter. Our CMO is Emily Davis and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. The theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet and a new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday so please subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly but we will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe at Spotify or Apple music but most of all thank you again for joining us